Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the impulsive Matt. Hello there. Well then Matt, um, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about this week, don't you? Yeah, Face the Raven this week. Face the Raven, Face the Raven, a little episode called Face the Raven. Um, But... I think we'll we'll try and save all our thoughts for that um, until we get into our review proper. I am presuming, as always, we've got uh, a lot of faffery to get through first. Uh, no, I want though... to rush it this week. It's like the first day of nice weather and we're sat inside <laughs> doing this. <laughs> oh, that's the reason. It's not because you're burning to talk about Face the Raven. No, I just want to go outside, get some sunshine right. on my skin. All right, then. Let's bash through it. Okay. Breakfast. What did you have? Uh, today, I treated myself. I had a McDonald's breakfast. Oh, get the, you. The term treat there is matter of opinion. I, um, I would say I would say a McDonald's breakfast is definitely a treat, but it's only a treat whilst it's going in. Yeah, I, like, I, 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 fe- I feel dirty now. Yeah. Yeah, like pretty much instantaneously after I finished eating a McDonald's breakfast, I just feel like I've swallowed a brick. Yeah, like I feel full, but I don't feel satisfied. No, I, no. No, so but I had having a, said that, no, go for it. I had a double sausage egg McMuffin and a large latte uh, mm. and a hash brown. Oh, uh, uh, just like, you know. I'll be honest, I'm in it for the hash brown. Yeah, the hash browns. Really... Why, why haven't they taken off in like other meals? Oh, I don't know. I don't know, Matt. I don't know. But a M- McDonald's hash brown is, is something to be treasured, in my opinion. Yeah. So yeah, it was okay. It was all right. What about you? Uh, just some shreddies. Ah, nice. Yeah, I I had to get some sort of fibrous content in, into my system because yesterday I subsisted largely on. Uh, bread, cheese, and chocolate. Yeah. Yesterday, of course, being Easter Sunday, listeners. Yeah. We're recording this on on Easter Monday. Yeah. Uh, did you Did you get a nice Easter egg this year? Yeah, I um, I did. No, no Doctor Who Easter egg this year. Um, uh, fabricated or or otherwise. Um, but yeah, I I'm trying to think. What was my what was my highlight? And I I got a. I think it was probably uh, I got a Cadbury's buttons egg. Oh, nice! Which and I, ju- I I don't know where you stand on Cadbury's buttons, but I I appreciate the simplicity of a good chocolate button. Mm. I think go big, get the Yorkie buttons that are like A five oh. sheets of paper. They're <laughs> massive. They are good, but you've got to contend with the fact that you've got uh, Nestle chocolate, which is not quite of the same calibre as Cadbury's. Yeah. I know people go on about Nestle like, oh, they're so unethical. Oh, we hate them. I, I just think their chocolate's a bit naff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but they, these are not mutually uh, exclusive opinions as far as I'm concerned. Um, but let's not let's not pretend that, uh, that Cadbury's, owned by Kraft, owned by Unilever... Is somehow a le- a more ethical company than uh, than Nestle in, in a lot of ways. Like, like, there's really no such thing as an ethical multinational company. 
you don't get to that point through uh, through being being lovely and paying your your, your work as well and uh, all the rest of it. I, I had an omble for my Easter egg. A what? No, an, an omble. It it it's like this race of characters that Marks and Spencers have created. Okay. It, it's basically an Easter egg with two small white chocolate Easter eggs stuck on the top as eyes. Um, uh-huh. And it looks a little bit like either Zig or Zag uh, as an Easter egg. Oh, from The Big Breakfast? Yeah. My mother-in-law bought me it. I, I went for a traditional Mars bar Easter egg. Um, uh. I just bought, like, when I went to Morrison's, they were like, buy two, get one free. So I bought me and my wife one, and then we got one to share. But then my mother-in-law gifted us, like, extravagant big ones. Wow. Yeah, I feel like... I, I was going to say, I, I, I used to think that um, uh, the, the the sort of, like, grasping towards novelty in the world of Easter eggs is, is a modern invention, and it's mm. just because people have become jaded. Um, but yesterday... Uh, we went round to my mum's uh, to you know spend some time in the garden with her, um, as per current lockdown rules, um, and she's uh, my mum who is a serial knitter. There's no stopping her. Um, she wanted to to knit me a jumper, which I am more than happy for her to do because I'm low on jumpers at the moment. Um, and so so she came she came out with an armful of like knitting patterns that she'd salvaged from, uh, like, women's weeklies magazines from, like, the <laughs> late 80s, early 90s. And as I was skimming through them to try and pick the least awful pattern I could find, uh, in amongst it was uh, an advert for a novelty Easter egg, um, which, w- and I, I, I would guess earliest we were maybe talking about like 1986 latest maybe 1991 no later than that um but rather than a chocolate egg it was a bird's trifle like the custard company bird's trifle in egg form well when i when i went to booths this weekend you know how you can buy multi-packs of eggs to do like a little easter egg hunt around your garden yeah imagine that but instead of chocolate eggs each egg is made of a bourgeois cheese. Ooh. Now you're yeah. talking my language. They had a big, yeah. cheesy, eggy Easter hunt box that I didn't buy. I'll probably go tomorrow, see if it's on reduced. Cool. No, that sounds good. That sounds good. Yeah. I mean, basically just anything cheese-related, you've already got me hooked, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so let's do a meal of the week then. Okay, do you want to lead on this one? Well, might as well, seeing as we've already I've already started talking about it in that yesterday I was I was round my mum's um and uh it was the first time we've been able to spend any proper time together in months and uh we had a little buffet lunch together. So it was really nice, just a bit of bread, bit of cheese, bit of salad, handful of crisps and nice. a big old catch up with my mum. What could nice. be lovelier? Now, here's a question. Was there any cake involved in this buffet lunch? I'm picturing a Victoria sponge. Oh, you, you, you'd think, wouldn't you? Uh, my mum's not the sort... Uh, uh, my mum's certainly the sort to, to wheel out a Victoria sponge on occasion. But um, 
I think in, in a fit of just overexcitement, she'd found a recipe for like a posh Arctic roll. Ooh, so nice. she decided to give that a bash. With ice so cream was, in the I, middle. With ice cream in the middle, and it was like a chocolate sponge and like a quite a, a rich fruity jam layer in the middle. Ah, oh, that that does sound good. It was good. It was good, not gonna lie. Um so yeah. I, I just it, that I, I mean that whole that whole afternoon was just just joyous for me. Watching little Absorbaloff running around with no clothes on because he soaked himself in a paddling pool. Yeah, um, I, I was just about to say, just in case, you know, if you wanted to moan about your week and complain about the burdens of fatherhood, people might think they've tuned into the wrong podcast with you being so positive. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is on my running order. I've got Meal yeah. of the Week, Would I Lie to Who, Burdens of, burdens of Fatherhood. Yeah, it's uh, on there. Yeah. There. Yeah. Okay. What about you then? What's your meal of the week? Well, I, I spent all week building up to. Yesterday, we went to my wife's nana's house. Uh, my wife's granddad's not very well at the moment, so we called in at yeah. nana's for a bit of an Easter Easter dinner. Um, so all week, I've been looking forward to a lovely cooked lamb, uh, mm-hmm. and and it was absolutely lovely. My wife and her nana, when they're together in the kitchen, it's a, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. But. I was a little bit disappointed with the sides with the lamb. Oh, so, no. So it was like boiled potato, broccoli, uh, carrots, broad beans, which I'm not a massive fan of. And, you know, the meat was so good. I was like, if I just had a couple of roasties, Yorkshire pudding, yeah. you know, yeah, even mash. I, I don't like boiled potatoes. They're the lowest on the potato well, scale for me. Well, presumably new potatoes. Yeah. Have I have I ever told you about my great potato theory? No, go for it. My theory, and this is what I'm going to publish and make millions, okay? Uh-huh. The, the less a potato looks like a potato, the better it tastes. <laughs> That's why hash right? browns are coming out near the top, are they? Yeah, well, think about it. What have you got down the bottom? You've got boiled potatoes. Then you've got jackets. And then you've got roasties, which are like the best of the potato-looking potatoes. And then you right. get into, like, chips. Then you get into, like, alpha bites and potato smileys. And at the top, you've got mash. It's an interesting but, theory. It's an interesting theory. Yeah. But then there's, I, like, I, exclusions. You can't have potato dauphinoise because that's got cheese in it. Right. I'll tell there's you what, David. Uh, just to go off on another tangent. This week... I put a question out on our Twitter. What's the best garlic bread? Okay. So you can have baguette, like flatbread, chia batter. And it was just people going, what about about dough balls? Right, well, they're not garlic bread, are they? They're something else. Well, I mean, they're they're bread dough covered in garlic butter. Yeah, but it's not always garlic garlic butter, is it? Mm, Usually, isn't it? Mm, Only at Pizza Express. And we know the sort of person that goes to Pizza Express. Thank you very much, Prince Andrew. <laughs> okay. um, so yeah, I was just like, oh, I just yeah. want a bit. Of, just want to know what people think about garlic bread. And people go, well, what about dough balls? Right. Well, you might so as well did... say, well, the best garlic bread is steak and chips. <laughs> it's two totally different things. I tell you what, I, I'm going to. I think, gonna, I'm I think thinking... you're, you're out on a limb here, Matt. You're out on a limb. 
I think I'm going to shut down our Twitter account. <laughs> Do- Doctor so Who Twitter sh- is horrible. It's just idiots. Idiots who like dough balls. Yeah, and <laughs> basically it's everyone falling out or sexually harassing each other and then just giving awful opinions on food. So, no, I'm going to shut down our Twitter today. All right, well, We're decision going on strike. made then, I guess. But anyway... You're not even going to share the results of that poll, then? What came out on top? Oh, bloody Out hell. of the limited options available. Right, hold on. Let me load this. Let me load this. I asked Paul Chuckle as well, but he's blanking us at the minute. He didn't reply. <laughs> what have you done to upset Paul? I don't know. He probably saw people's responses and was just like, oh, I'm not getting involved in this. Right. In last place, joint last place, is pizza and flatbread uh... tied with other... Because you can get, like, little fingers of garlic bread, but I couldn't remember what they were called, so I just put other. Yeah. Okay. And then tied for first place is garlic ciabatta bread, which is my personal favourite. Oh, just fuck a... off. Ciabatta. Excuse me. Ciabatta I'm trying to cut down awful. how much we swear on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but come on, ciabatta. I hope you didn't Seriously. kiss your mum with that heathen mouth of yours. It's like it's it's like eating a car sponge. You're an absolute fool, mate. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> but tied in first place was just a bit yep. garlic baguette. But I would have thought, like that's just like that's the cheap garlic bread, isn't it? They're like the ninety nine p. But there's something comforting in that. I, I mean, speaking purely for myself, um, I, I'm a flatbread man. Yeah. Baguette is my last choice. It's probably the one I eat most, but if I'm going for a special treat, I always go big on the garlic bread, which brings my story full circle because yeah. my meal of the week, because I was slightly disappointed with the lamb, on Saturday I spent all day cooking up a lovely spaghetti bolognese. Like, the ragu was an absolute labour of love. Oh. I didn't even buy a sauce. I, like, cooked down the tomatoes myself, crushed the garlic, made it all by hand. Lovely. And and I'll tell you another question I put out there. And this, this might divide us, David. Yeah. Right? So, all I want is just a simple disagree or agree with the following statement. Right. I said that there are only four acceptable pastas. Okay. Okay. They are spaghetti, Mm -hmm. lasagna, Uh macaroni, Mm. and fusilli. Okay, swap right, out. Don't don't come no, throwing no. penne at me. I don't want any. That is exactly penne. what I was about to do. It's just big macaroni. Yeah, and it and it's lovely because it fills up with the sauce. Whereas macaroni, yeah. it's too it's too small. It's you know those tubes those tubes might as well be. Flat. Are you telling They're me you'd rather flat. have penne cheese over macaroni cheese? I very rarely eat macaroni cheese. You're living in a dream but, world, mate. Penne's one of my standbys. It's my go-to pasta. No. Fusilli's better than penne. No, no. Look at the little spiral. If you're talking about sauce retention, you're talking fusilli, mate. I'm just just glad you didn't say bow ties. 
Because can we at least agree that bow ties oh, they could, they are a travesty? They could get to hell. Them and bloody seashells, whatever they're called, Kachili, get out. You see, that that I don't mind, but the thing that bothers me with, with the bow ties is you just get this really hard knobble in the centre of each one where it doesn't quite cook properly. What's your thoughts on gnocchi? I'm partial to a bit of gnocchi. Don't know about you. Put it in a stew. That's what I like. Instead of proper dumplings, yeah. put a little bit of gnocchi in there. Yeah, that would definitely work. I mean, certainly it fits with your theory of uh, potatoes that Don't are no longer like potatoes. potatoes. Mm. Yeah. So would you say your little party lunch today, or yesterday, sorry, was your meal of the year? No, no. I mean, it was really lovely. But in terms of like food, it was, you know, just... A nice, nice little buffet, and who doesn't like a nice little buffet? Yeah. You know, the the aforementioned Arctic Roll was certainly a very special treat, but really, what made it was the company. Nice. So, nice. Um, yeah, I don't think it's quite topping it for the year. I think, I think the vegetable lasagna reigns supreme for now. Yeah, I don't think my, uh, I don't think my spag bowl is my meal of the year either. Yeah. Right. But, Should we uh, move so on? It sounds from... like a labour of love. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. It filled a full day. Excellent. Can we discuss something other than food on our Doctor Who podcast? Why not? Why not? Uh, this is can... time for Would I Lie to Who? Well, it is, but can I take you back in time to last week? Yeah, of course. Where I agreed to read the novelisation of The Twin Dilemma. Oh, yes, you did, didn't you? Yeah, I, I have. I finished it this morning. I read the last 30 <laughs> pages or so this morning. Uh, yeah, there, there's a couple of bits I want to just, if, if you'll indulge me, David, I'd just like to read a yeah. couple of, uh, of segments, if you don't mind. Can we check who who who, who novelised it out of curiosity? Uh, it's by Eric Sawod. Oh, Eric, Eric Sawod. Yeah. yeah, he was he was the script editor during the the, the Colin Baker years. Right. Well, there's a couple of bits that are missed out of the TV program that are on here. Right. Okay. So I, I just thought I'd read a little bit out to you. So this is from uh, Chapter 6, An Unsafe mm-hmm. Safe House. Okay. Ooh. So this is where we're talking about the planet Titan 3. Okay. Yeah. And it's where we're just going to talk about the atmosphere. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's a short, short segment, but just let me just bear with me. Originally, the buildings had been erected to house a research unit and monitoring base for the solar system, Marston Viva. But before building the centre, all the usual checks and tests had been made, including a close examination of the atmosphere. Although a gas unknown to the Mastons, known as Titan Melancholia, had been detected, exhaustive research seemed to indicate that it was inert and safe to breathe, so the centre was built. It wasn't until some time later that it was noticed that people who spent more than six months on the planet became strangely depressed. At first, this was dismissed as nothing more than an overreaction to Titan's bleak environment, so the tour of duty was shortened to three months. This did little to help. Scientists, technician and labourer alike started to abandon their work in favour of writing long, introverted painfully self-critical novels and essays. When summoned home, they refused to go, preferring to stay on Titan to complete their self-imposed tasks, 
Such was the all-pervading gloom of the place that Mein Kampf and the works of Stringberg were read as light comic relief. It was during one of these intense periods of introspection that an enormous burst of radiation wiped out the population of Maston Viva. The scientists whose function it was to warn of such impending disasters were mortified. On checking their computers, they found that the radiation cloud had been visible for days, and if they had been more attentive to their duty, the danger could have been neutralised. Suddenly, the pain of life had overtaken the agony of art. There was little left for the scientists to do. After each of them had completed a long soul-searching autobiography, they completed mass suicide. They were the first and last victims of Titan Melancholia. So, my question... Yeah. Yeah, My question is, David, uh, how long have you spent on Titan 3? (laughs) Most of the year, it seems. Yeah. So, yeah, Uh, they sort of omitted the whole mass suicide bit from the the TV show. Yeah, that's that's interesting. In some ways, it feels a little bit like Eric Sayward trying to do Douglas Adams. Mm. That it's a long sort of tongue-in-cheek diversion. But Eric Sayward has a really nasty streak in his writing. Uh, Like, he's probably one of the most uh, violent writers on on classic Doctor Who. In that he's, you know, he's really not afraid to to uh get kind of graphic at times and that's kind of so that's on brand for him in that respect but right. uh may, may i just read a second yeah. shorter passage this is the final uh, go one for i'll it. read go okay for it. so this is this is a passage about a guy called professor zahn okay now if, if you cast your mind back david to when we watched the twin dilemma there's a little yeah. bit where asmael just sort of gets in the wall then comes back out Yes. And we couldn't work out what was going on. Well, in the book, it explains that that is a little bit like from Sleep No More. It's a little box that you can go in and it fully refreshes you. Oh, I see. So there's no need for rest. Okay, and that's developed by a guy called Professor Zahn. So I'm just going to read a little section here on Professor Zahn. And this is from, I think this might, oh, this is also from Chapter 6. An unsafe safe house. As stated, Professor Zahn won the Astral Freed Award for his efforts. Not only did he gain a great deal of prestige, but also a lot of money, which the foolish man insisted on spending on even bigger and longer and more outrageous parties. One night, while more than usually under the influence of Voxnick, so Voxnick's like the alcoholic drink that they have in this story, uh-huh. Professor Zahn decided to freshen himself up a little with a session in his revitalising modulator. Unfortunately, he took into the machine a bottle of Voxnick. Nowadays, the principles governing the modulator are fully understood, but at that time, it wasn't known that two things act rather strangely under its influence. The first is Voxnick, the second is glass. When Zahn had finished his session in the machine, The door opened automatically, but instead of the revitalised professor, there was nothing to be seen but an enormous bottle of Voxnick. What had happened was this. When the professor and Voxnick had been atomised, 
the ferrile rays had caused the molecules of eat sorry of the alcoholic beverage to become hostile. Each Voxnick molecule had lined up with one of the professors, absorbed it, then used the sudden intake of energy to reproduce an exact copy of itself. Therefore, when the process was completed, there was a great deal of cloned Voxnick and no Zahn. Now, you think that that would be the ending, and an upsetting ending it is, David, but check this out. Mm -hmm. The saddest thing of all was that the bottle was discovered by a particularly drunken group of the professor's guests who drank it dry without second thought. <laughs> yeah, again, that's... He's definitely doing a bit of a Douglas Adams shtick there. Yeah. Um, There's some real dark yeah. bits in that novel. Yeah. That's like so that's like midway between Douglas Adams and Kafka. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you know the twins, Romulus and Remus. Yes. From that story. This whole section Did we not did we not conclude that you could basically take them out and and the story would pretty much happen in just the same way? Yeah. Well there's whole like... sections in the book where their dad basically wants to kill them. There's whole sections uh-huh. about, like, Oedipus complex and how the dad's had enough, and it's uh-huh. so weird. Yeah. So, did you enjoy Twin Dilemma in novelised form more than on screen? Um, I don't know. I think it's a, an all-round multimedia experience. Yeah, that's very diplomatic. So, do you um, yeah, subscribing to my theory that Doctor Who doesn't work in prose? Well, I'll tell you this, David, I'm not going to read the other book I bought. <laughs> um, I just I, think I just think you lose too much. I think it's 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 a TV you know, it, it it's made for TV. Yeah. Ultimately. Well, I am going to send this copy of The Twin Dilemma to our listener, James Courtney. Um, so my goal is that everyone that ever listens to our podcast gets a copy of The Twin Dilemma. <laughs> um, so. Fortunately, our reach is not massive, so that's not too expensive an undertaking. No, so like when we did a big competition... No, it wasn't a competition, it was Christmas, wasn't it? I sent one to the Married to Who guys. Do you want to say hello to yep. them, David? Hello. And then this week, it's not even a contest. I was just like, does anyone want this book? And James said yes, so I'll send that to James. I might copy, I might chuck in a copy of Alien Arena. He can have oh, that why as not? well. We're, we're done with that now, aren't we? Yeah. So I don't want you to say anything, David, but I'm just going to send you a picture where I've made some edits to this copy of The Twin Dilemma. Okay. Okay. So I've kind of reworked the ending. <laughs> Do you want me to read it out on pod, or should you maybe just put it up on the Twitter when this episode? Yeah, drops? I, I, I want it to be a nice surprise for James. So James, don't skip ahead and read the ending, okay? Yeah, but yeah, the, we're, 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 of... in in fullness of time, we'll share that on. Uh... Yeah. On the, the the Twitter feed, I think. Except but, we won't, because uh, yeah, I'm don't shutting down that. the Twitter. No. Um, all right, then. Shall we do what I lie to who? Can, can I just add one tiny thing first? I know that Go you don't on. like it when I interrupt. Uh, just, I have still got a copy of Doctor Who, the TV movie by Gary Russell, the novelisation. I'm not going to read it. I did say Are last sure? week, if anyone wants it, just let me know. So that offer's still on the table. Just let us know, and you can have that for free. 
Lovely. Right. Would I lie to whom? Okay, then. So it's my turn this week, isn't it? Yep. To, um, and this week, my uh, new issue of Doctor Who magazine uh, oh. dropped onto my doormat. Oh, I've seen it's so, a big one. It's the Eccleston one, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, so it's kind of celebrating his return to the role with Big Finish. Um, it's got a lot of lot of Eccleston related features. A lot of the regular features are focusing in on Eccleston related merchandise and episodes and things like that. So it's a bit of an Eccleston bonanza. I've really enjoyed what I've read of it so far. And of course, the cover story is you, you got a new interview with Eccleston talking about uh, reprising the role for Big Finish. Um, and there's, there was, there's, it's a great interview, lots of interesting stuff in there. Uh, but I've pulled out a particular quote. Um, so I'm going to read you three quotes, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, only one of which is a quote from this interview. Okay, I'm looking forward to um, this. So these are quotes supposedly from Eccleston, are they? Yes, yeah. Right. These are all genuine quotes, but they're not necessarily all from Eccleston. Okay, okay. Um, okay, so the first quote. I've often worked with people who can't bear the sight of me, so they don't actually look at me. I enjoy getting on very well with actors, but quite a lot of them would rather turn down a job than work with me. I understand that. Okay. Um, So the second quote. uh, It seems a contradiction, but working from a script does give you an extraordinary amount of freedom in the way that you play something. A lot of the difficulties in doing it on television is remembering the words and where you are in the script and what you've got to do. If you're filming something, it's done in 30 second chunks, rarely longer than that. When you've got the words in front of you, you're not having to remember it. You can do things in a different way and play them differently. And the final quote, um, when asked, you know, what, what convinced him to come back to the role? He said, uh, well, what convinces a bricklayer to build a wall? What convinces a plumber to plumb? What convinces you to do your job? I mean, it's not a fashionable thing to say, and because we're all English, we don't talk about these things, but I'm an actor. The way I pay my mortgage and support my children is by acting. Okay. Right. I'm going to immediately dismiss the first quote. Okay. Because I I think... Eccleston is respected enough that I can't imagine people would not want to work with him. Okay. You know, I think certainly in in Britain he's well enough known, you know, from his TV programs and what have you. And I even think mm-hmm. in America, you know, he's renowned as a decent hand. So I, I'd be very surprised if number one is Eccleston. It could it could could be being very self deprecating. Yeah, I know, but I, I know that he's quite good at doing that. I, I think that might be from another actor that played the Doctor, but I'm not going to say okay. which one until you've revealed... I'll, I'll guess at the end if that's incorrect. Okay, okay. all right. Right. Uh, number three, I, I think I might dismiss, because I... I, I don't know, because... Eccleston is quite an open guy whenever I've seen him interviewed. So mm. That's very, very blunt, though, isn't it? To basically yeah, like, un- well, until you got to the me. part about being an actor and playing your mortgage. 
I when you were talking about you know why does a bricklayer build a wall, I thought that could just be a quote from the character, the Doctor. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so I, I am going to go with number two. Okay. I, I think he was talking through the method of recording for Big Finish. Yeah, and that he sort of found that quite liberating. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Matt. Okay. That 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 is incorrect. The correct answer was number three. What convinces a bricklayer to build a wall? That oh. was Eccleston. Oh man, I was so close. You were, you were. I thought you were going to get it. Uh, and to be honest, uh, and to be clear to listeners. He said a lot of other very nice things in that interview. He wasn't just the whole way through just like, well, I'm just doing it to pay my bills. No. Um, but that was kind of part of a longer response about why then, he likes playing the part, what's drawn him back into it. Because my, my other reasoning was I wasn't sure whether Eccleston had children. Yeah. Uh, it turns no, out he, he does. He does, yeah. I think he's got two kids. Mm. Um, but, yeah, okay, so... For clarity, the other two quotes are from two other doctors. So right. you didn't you didn't miss out on your main point, but I would give you a bonus point, Matt, if you can co- correctly identify either of the other doctors. Right. So number one, where he's talking about people not wanting to work with him. Yeah. I've got three options. I think what, it's what, what are you whittling it down to then? I, I think it's either Tom Baker. Uh-huh. Because I, I watched or read something this week where it was about how he didn't get on with the actress that played, was it Leela? Yeah. Uh, no, I think one he was of, quite, quite unpleasant towards her at times. Yeah, uh, and one of life. his tricks was if he didn't like who he was acting with, he wouldn't look them in the eye. Mm. So a little quote about, you know, people not looking him in the eye stands out. But then I wondered whether it could be... Colin Baker, because obviously he was the only doctor to be fired. And then I wondered whether it was McCoy, because he was the doctor when it was cancelled. So, So I'm going to... For one of them. I'm going to say Tom Baker. You are correct. Bonus point in the bag. Yeah. Just because I thought he's the only one that could be disagreeable, because Colin Baker and McCoy just seem lovely. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, I think Baker has really mellowed out and he is being quite self-deprecating when he says that in that interview. But I think at his height during doing Doctor Who, there is some serious ego going on. Mm. And I, there are a lot of stories that he, he could be quite difficult to work with mm. um, as, as he sort of got into the latter half of his reign. Yeah. Now the um, other the other one about reading rather than acting. Yeah. I think that might be McGann. He's the big uh big finish doctor, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. I I'm gonna plump for McGann for quote two. Good guess. Um it's actually Davison. Alright, okay. But again, I think it makes sense in that that, that you know, Davis and McGann, I would say, are both on the mellow end of the spectrum with their doctors. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're both kind of slightly more passive. And also, they're, they're both, as actors, I think they're both very kind of into the craft of it. Um, 
So I I think you were definitely in, in, along the right lines with uh, opting for McGann there. But anyway, well done. So uh, bonus point to you there, Matt. So that's 5-2 so far. Yep. So fingers Those crossed keeping for next school. week. Yeah. Good stuff. Right. Um, the only thing I've got left on my running order, non-Doctor Who TV highlight of the week. Ah, yes. Um, should we just talk about Taskmaster again? Yeah, we may as well. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a strong lineup this this uh, series, isn't it? Yeah, I like I the really fact that other, the other than Mike Wozniak, who I, I I really do like, I like it that there's not like one standout performer. Each one's getting their time. Definitely, and I think it's been really interesting to see Lee Mack in a different context because, you know, you, 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 if you watch him on Would I Lie to You, where he's very much kind of like king of the castle there, isn't he? You know, um, but he he's kind of, he's out of his comfort zone on Taskmaster, which is really fascinating to see. Um and but yeah, all of them. I like. I'm really enjoying. Uh, is it Jamali Maddox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's. I I can't remember the last time we've had a contestant on Taskmaster who is so keen to to actively antagonise uh, Greg in mm. the studio. Uh, he's got a really sort of like cheeky schoolboy quality to him. Yeah, yeah. No, it. it... It's been a good series so far. Yeah, definitely. Um, Anything else you've been watching? Uh, other than Community, not really. Um, though I tell you what I have done this uh, this Easter weekend. I impulse bought a copy of Mist on Steam uh, on uh, on the Switch. Like the the old PC game Mist. The incredibly old PC game Mist. Because wow. I have never played it, and I've always wanted to play it. Like my mum had it back in the day, and I remember like watching with a mixture of fear and fascination whilst she played Mist, and, and just finding something very, very intriguing about it. But in the intervening years, it's either not been available on any technology I I had access to since nineteen ninety three. You've never had anything that can run Mist. I'm just checking there. No, no, it was no, released so, in '93. It's nearly no, thirty no, no. years old. Okay, so what the, what I'm saying is, when I had when I had a decent quality PC, there was no copy of it for what what would have been, I guess, Windows, Windows Seven, Windows Eight, whatever whatever OS I was running. Like I couldn't find it when I when I looked for it. It wasn't available. I think this would have been just pre Steam, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think an edition did come out on Steam shortly afterwards, but by that point, that PC was so knackered it wouldn't handle it. Um, subsequently, like I've got a knackered old laptop, which has been no use for ages. I've had other consoles in the meantime, but I don't think it ever came out on Xbox 360. Certainly didn't come out on the Wii or Wii U. But it just happened that there was a Switch version that I spotted available. I was like, you know what? It's now or never. I'm going to play Myst. So that's mostly what I've been doing this weekend. Right. And how's it been going? I love it, Matt. 
I love really? it. And, and it's, I, I knew it would be my bag. But, I mean, it is so old school. Like, you have to actually sit there with a notebook and write things down. Wow. Um, when you come across clues. That's how old school it is. Do you think you'll play very... Riven, the sequel to Mist from 1997? Well, potentially, but I don't think it's been reissued, has it? Um, certainly, I don't think there's... A lot of the, the, the Mist sequels haven't had the same level of 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 like endless reissues and things that uh, the first one has so i will have to see i probably will i would like to play them all eventually yeah In- including mist 3 exile yeah why not what about uru's ages beyond mist yes we can all tell you've got the wikipedia article open back <laughs> mist 4 revelation <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll see how I'll get on with the first one, eh? Yeah. But and then we can so end far, with really Mist 5, it. End of Ages. Yeah. So you've never played Mist then, I'm guessing? Uh, I remember once when I was at school, I went round to a guy that I was kind of friendly with at school. It was the only time I ever went to his house. And there was yeah. basically nothing to do. Like, yeah. Like, I remember I went round and he was like, oh, do you want to listen to my Prodigy album? I was like, well, I mean, we can, but what what else are we going to do? So then we installed Mist on his dad's PC, and it took hours. And then when we played it, it's not really a multiplayer game. Um, Not really, no. So no, uh, I've never really been into Mist, so I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What's your what's your TV highlight? Uh, Well, I've given up on playing the Lonely Assassins or the Silent Assassins, whatever it's called. Haven't touched that this week, um, even though I said I'd play it to completion. Um, Yeah. I've finished watching The Vicar of Dibley. I thought you'd be happy to know that. How many series did it go for? Uh, Too too many. Too many. (laughs) I was going to say it's only been like has it been like not even two weeks. No, it reached, it reached a point it. where my wife was like, um, I, I, like I, I was coming upstairs to play on the Xbox, and she was like, oh, I was going to watch Vicar of Dibley. I was like, oh, you can put it on if you want. I'll be back down in a minute. And I just never came down. Yeah. Um, so I do, I, I'll be honest. I think I think in a lot of British sitcoms, they're not bingeable in the way American ones are. Two series and a special. That's what you want, like The Office. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are exceptions. Peep Show. I mean, yeah. Peep Show, I think, really hit its stride series two, series three. But every subsequent series, I would say it was at least 50 50 brilliant to okay. Mm. Um, so so, so there, was, on, there was good all the way through it. On Amazon Video, I've been watching Invincible. Oh yes, yeah. I've I've vaguely heard of this, but I've not really been following yeah. it because so I don't I've, I don't have Amazon Prime. Uh, so I've watched the first four episodes. It's pretty good. I'll probably stick yeah. with it. Excellent. So, so far, so good. And then because we finished Vicar of Dibley, my wife and I have started watching Line of Duty. Ooh, it's like that's been uh, going a while, hasn't it? Yeah, we've never watched it, but it's always on Gogglebox, which is like one of the programs we always watch. So we thought we'd commit to watching it. And mm-hmm. it's really good. I'm really pretty invested into the first series. 
So what would you say the, the tone of it is? Is it... Because in my head, it's basically just the bill, but, but in HD. No, it's about an anti-police corruption unit. So uh, Okay. So they're trying to basically solve a murder, but there's another officer who's implicated slash guilty of it all. Right, um, okay. So it's about... It's basically about like them trying to outpolice the police. Mm. But yeah, well, really that's interesting. Good. Yeah, yeah, really um, good. It's it's one of those things that's like vaguely on my to do list, but there's just can we both agree there is too much telly nowadays? Yeah, but not a lot of it's very good. Yeah, this I, is the problem. I like, don't watch there's a, a, there's lot a lot of TV, but what I yeah. watch needs to be good. Yeah, I think there's an awful lot of stuff that gets hyped up because it's new and then forgotten about two months later. Mm. So you got these two months where you're like, oh, I'm missing out because I'm not watching, I don't know, Altered Carbon or whatever. And then afterwards, nobody is talking about it. Yeah, like, is anyone still watching the new Star Trek series? I don't know. I like, gave I gave Discovery two episodes, and I was just like, nah, not for me. See, I gave that a series or two, and I watched most of the first series of Picard, and then just clocked out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it sounds like people were initially very excited about Picard, but it kind of dropped off. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I never got around to it. Should we just give up entirely and start watching anime? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> I, I mean, it won't come as any surprise to listeners. I, I dabbled in anime as a teenager, you know, but I, I don't think I could go back. <laughs> Is there anything point. worse than people talking about anime? I've got a guy at work who's just like, oh, if you have... If, like, I'll be in there talking about something. So I'll be like, yeah. oh, this weekend I think I'll watch Godzilla King Kong. And he'll be like, oh, mate, if you like that, why don't you watch uh, Full Metal Alchemist? And I'll be like, oh, I, don't, God. I don't want to. And then he'll be like, <laughs> I'll be like, oh, you got any plans for the weekend? And he'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 big, uh, going to watch some Attack on Titan. Just like, mm. anime is the worst. Except Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z is awesome. Everything else, <laughs> good God! Uh, it's uh, yeah. If it, I ever I, get I like that, was... put me out to pasture. <laughs> Take me behind the shed and shoot me. <laughs> All righty. Well, we've gone nearly nearly an hour at this point, and we've uh, not touched on face the raven. So, I think it's probably time. Yeah. You say, Matt. Yeah. Shall we have some so, listener thoughts on the episode? Um, well, f- but before we do anything else, I need to ask you, how do you feel now that Clara's dead? Uh, she won't be dead for long. That's that's how Doctor Who works. You reckon? She was back. pretty definitive. Yeah. She pretty dead to me. She'll be back. She'll be back. Like, I... I I don't feel this is the same as uh, Angels in Manhattan or whatever it was called. You know, that that was very final. But this, you know, 
if the if it ended with the doctor being all sad and mopey, I'd be all right. But he was just like, oh, I'm very angry. That means he's going to go put things right. It, except he got zapped away at the end, didn't he? So he did. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? I don't think she'll be dead for long. I mean, like, the whole episode was pretty episode portentous, 10. wasn't it? Right, yeah. we're on episode 10, and I don't know how long this series is, but they're usually about a dozen, 13 episodes, aren't they? Yeah. So, it, she'll be back. The end of the series will be the Doctor sorting it out, and then I think they'll part as friends once they've learned a lesson. <laughs> Well, we'll have to wait and see. So, uh, see, let's let's hear some listener thoughts then, and then we'll get stuck into it. Right. Well, the first one I'm going to read is from James Courtney. Okay, and he, he's playing me at my own game here, David, because I don't know if you're aware, but the last few weeks when James has been submitting his ideas to Married to Who, I've I've just been messaging Married to Who, just going, oh, I haven't seen this episode. So can you just attribute all James's responses to me instead? Uh, and yeah. I, I think they have been doing that, because uh, James seems slightly angry in this response. So, <laughs> okay. He says, I haven't got anything to say about this one, but Matt from Neither the Time Nor the Space says, good episode. It was nice to see Riggsy back, even if it was a bit unexpected. Helps to get right to the story. Trap Street is an interesting idea as well, one of those weird real things that create stories. Me is back and has changed again. Some other big stars in this episode, in massively underused parts, such as Letitia Wright and Naomi Aki. This story is about Clara and the Doctor, who they are and how far they will go. Clara has continued with reckless abandon with a reckless abandon, sorry, and has reached the pinnacle of becoming the Doctor. Unfortunately, that cost her her life, and, but she faced it more bravely than some doctors. Interestingly, just as Clara has become the Doctor, like the ending, uh, sorry, just as Clara has become so Doctor-like, the ending has the Doctor disavowing his name, and with that, his promise. And then he thanks me for that suggestion. Yeah, uh, so, so pretty succinct thoughts, uh, Matt, there from you. I guess yeah. we can uh, wrap the podcast up there then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we do have some other thoughts from Frank, who says, yeah. I think you can only discuss it as two parts, the first three quarters and the final scenes. The first three mm. gr- quarters are a really gripping mystery, good acting from someone I previously didn't like. The final quarter, my heart breaks. It's overshadowed by the next episode, though, which is my favourite Doctor Who episode. Yeah. So no, no, no pressure on next week. No, it better be good. If it's not, I'm going to start a Twitter spat with Frank. <laughs> that, that's how Doctor Who Twitter works. Right. So, if I'm ranking this episode, David... Yeah. I'm going to say it starts really dumb... Then it gets pretty good. Then it gets really, really dumb. And then it Uh gets really, really good. It's so so inconsistent. Bit of a roller coaster for you. Yeah. I I have similarly complex feelings about this one, um, but for slightly different reasons. For me, it feels... And this is maybe me watching it from a perspective of having seen it a few times at this point. Mm -hmm. 
it doesn't quite ever manage to be a satisfying story in its own right. I, I think it suffers a little bit in the same way that, say, Utopia does back in Series 3, in that it's basically a prologue. It's one... It, it's a lot of, like, moving... Like, getting pieces set up on the chessboard ready for your endgame. In the case of Utopia, it's... Uh, the Master coming back. You know, it, it, it's introducing the Master. Yeah. Uh, and in the case of this one, it's uh, Clara's untimely demise. And whilst that has been building up over the course of the series, um, it feels like the, the rules that they have to put in place around the Raven and stuff like it's very It all feels a little bit artificial, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Just to get to this point where Clara very nobly, very da- bravely faces her own death in an unexpected way. Um, yeah, because it, it, it just seems like... I mean, in a slightly different way to Angels Take Manhattan, it feels like an absolutely nothing episode, and then at the end it just ramps up to like 100 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't go quite that far. I do think the idea of the trap street is is good. It, in terms of the set design and stuff, it 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 and costume design, it it for me veers almost a little cl- too close into Harry Potter territory. <laughs> it has a bit of that vibe to it. A bit of Diagon um, Alley. Yeah, I kind of would have preferred if maybe I'll be honest, I, I understand why they did it, but I, I would have preferred to just have the aliens actually presenting as, as various alien life forms. I would have preferred it to see like Cybermen and, and Jadoon and, and everyone stomping around. Yeah. But that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I do like the central concept. I think it's I think the direction they take me as a character is really interesting. Um and I think we're st- finally starting to see why why Maisie Williams was a good get for this character. Yeah. Yeah, I think I um, agree with that. But yeah, and, and I agree. It's also, I like having Rigsy back. And See, it, it, it kind of makes me a bit sad. Maybe it would have been too many people, I don't know. But I kind of like, can you imagine having Rigsy all the way through this series? Having him back as a regular companion? That might have yeah, been quite nice. Yeah, him coming back, like, it's kind of out of nowhere. Like, we, we assume he's yeah. a one and done. Yeah. And part, part of me was just like, did... Did, did they kill off Danny Pink too soon? Would it have been better if it was yeah. him? Maybe. I mean, certainly he fits in nicely. Mm. Like, he fits right in in, the, in this... Uh, like, obviously, he's he's a little bit out of his depth because this is all still quite new to him. Uh, but I think that could have been an interesting dy- dynamic, you know, having him continue to be sort of almost like Clara's apprentice. Mm. Like, she's the old hand and he's the new boy. Um, should, should have been Courtney. Bring back Courtney. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I so mixed feelings basically is mm-hmm. is where I have with this one. Uh, um, when it works, I think it really does work, though. Um, and I think I think the central performances really 
make it ultimately. I think Capaldi, uh, Coleman, uh, Maisie Williams are all doing really, you know, top notch work. Should we just jump into um, it? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so this is Face the Raven, episode 10 of season 9 from the 21st of November 2015. It's written by Sarah Dollard and directed by yep. Justin Malotnikov. Yeah. Okay, so we open with the Doctor and Clara entering the TARDIS after an adventure. They're having a hoot. It's they just are. All, all good fun. And then the TARDIS phone rings. Well, you say that. It's it's all good fun, but there is an element of the Doctor kind of admonishing her for being reckless mm. as well. Like, that is a little undercurrent to their, to their dialogue. But she shrugs it off and he doesn't really, like, push the point. Yeah. So the TARDIS phone is ringing, and as we've yep. said, it's Riggsy. Okay? And yes. Since we've seen him last, he's got a lovely tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Except it's not a lovely tattoo. It is one which is counting down to zero. So we see the tattoo on the back of his neck begin to morph, as it were. So it yeah. begins, like we say, counting down, counting down, counting down. And yeah. the panic from Riggsy and the Doctor is, you know, what happens when we reach zero? What's going yeah. to happen when Riggs's time is up? Can't beat a good mysterious countdown. No, no, and it's good in terms of, like, setting up the mystery. You know? Yeah, no, I think it's, it's a really interesting hook for the story. You know, we know immediately what the plot's going to be, but we also have no idea what is going on. Yeah. Okay. So, the TARDIS lands in Riggsy's flat. Yeah. And we find Can I say, out... actually, I really love a, di a directorial touch I'd never noticed before, that when the TARDIS lands, we get an exterior shot of the block of flats. With the where, lights where coming on is. and off. Yeah, I, I just, that really stood out to me this time. I was just like, oh, that's a really nice way to do a TARDIS landing. Yeah, um, I suppose it's better than, you know, I know that, I'm not saying it's bad, but we have seen the TARDIS just sort of fade into existence. We've seen that hundreds of times, haven't we? Yeah. So maybe less yeah, so it's is not, not, not. Yeah, nice to get sort of like just what a random passerby on the street might see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so Riggsy is a dad now. And he woke up yeah. and the tattoo was just there. He says, yesterday was a total blank. He got up, he left the house for work. And before he knew it, he just woke up today and he'd got this tattoo. Yeah. So the question yeah, nobody, is... Dave, nobody had seen him at, at work that day. The question is, how did he know he's got that tattoo? Because it's on the back of his neck. Well, presumably his uh, his wife or partner pointed it out to him. Uh, maybe. Maybe. So they go on the TARDIS to scan him. And yeah. it turns out that he's been under an amnesia drug. So something's yeah. happened that both he, the Doctor and Clara are unaware of. And the setup is that we're going to, you know, retrace his steps and find that out. Yeah. Except the I think Doctor... The doctor I think the Doctor also mentions that he's he's like got traces that show that he's 
been in contact with alien life. Mm. So the Doctor gets out his friendly good news cards. Uh-huh. Because... Nice to see them make a comeback. Yeah, because he's got to be nice to Riggsy, but ultimately he says there's no nice way to tell someone they're about to die. Yeah. So, you know, it's high stakes early in the episode, isn't it? It is. It is. Okay. Except the Doctor and... I suppose this ties back right to, you know, where he realises why he's got his face. He agrees he's going to help try and save Riggsy. He's going to save that one person, as mm-hmm. it were. Okay. Yeah. So they're looking for a hidden street. Yeah. A pocket of alien life. I think we also need to mention, because when they're sort of getting ready for their mission... Um, uh, the twelfth Doctor is is like, oh, bring the new human. Actually, no, don't. I'll only get distracted. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line. I think it's a really nice bit of colour for the twelfth Doctor's character that he's he's maybe maybe not good with people, but he, but he loves babies. people. Yeah, and he and he lo- yeah he loves loves babies. He loves seeing life continue, you know, and all of that. Um, so I, I really like this sort of element that they've introduced in this series with his character. Okay, so they go to the library and they are looking at maps of London to yeah. see if they can find these secret streets. And we get... Yeah, they, 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 they rather pointlessly have a map projected on the wall behind them when presumably if they're looking at maps on the table, it'd be a lot better if they just had the lights on and could see properly. Yeah, do you <laughs> but, know what? I uh... never thought of that, but... <laughs> Good point, well made, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it only struck me for the first time on my last watch. I've probably watched this episode like four or five times, so, uh, you know. Okay, so they're looking for a trap street. We get a long explanation as to what a trap street is. Yes. Okay, so they say that cartographers would often put in false streets in their maps, that way, if the false streets appeared in other maps, they'd be able to see who was plagiarising their work. Yes. Okay. And although they expand that point and talk about it for ages, it doesn't really become that relevant, does it? <laughs> There's nothing about it's... cartographers tricking people. There's just a, a street where there isn't a street. Yeah, it's a good... It's a good sort of entry point into looking for it, though. Basically, they... The, uh, yeah, I, I I like it. I like it as a, as a sort of means of, of, of levering them into the rest of the story. Right. So they then have a little fly around looking for the trap street. Yeah. So they, Clara nearly dies and is, is elated about it. Yeah, she's like hanging out the TARDIS, isn't she, over the streets yeah. of London. How at this point? At this point, how are you feeling with all the foreshadowing? You know, we've already had the Doctor admonishing her for being taking unnecessary risks. We we have her just being, like you know, genuinely like dicing with death and just being uh, giddy about it. Um, and you know, Riggsy says to the Doctor, "Oh, she enjoyed that way too much," and and his response is, "Yes, it's an ongoing problem." Did you feel like See, we were I, building to something in this episode? Well, not necessarily in this episode. I thought that was going to be one of the points in the finale. 
Because yeah. every episode this series has kind of been about how Clara just needs to calm down a bit. Yeah, but it really feels like it's coming to a crescendo in this yeah. episode. But like I say, with this episode being so late in the series, as I say, I thought this was going to build up to something happening in the finale. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, they find the trap straight. And the way they do that is they have to count everything because there's a perception filter. It will make you lose count, lose your train of thought when you're close because your brain will be focusing on other things. Yeah. Okay. So they have a little potter around and Clara recovers Riggsy's phone. Okay. Yes. And we see what happened to Riggsy. He was knocked out by a phone call. Mm-hmm. So there'd been some sort of signal sent through the phone to him. And we see a big hairy man who says he's dead. Okay. Except he's not dead. He was just knocked out. So they then find the hidden street, as I've said. And it's a refugee camp. So there's yeah. all lost alien souls living in yeah. this area of downtown London where they can be safe. Like I say, lovely idea, I think. Um, but would have preferred to actually see the aliens for more than, you know, the occasional, like, glitchy split second. In and out. Um, I can get the thinking behind it, but uh, just... I think it would really help to sell the idea of this kind of alien refugee camp if we actually got to see these people as aliens. So, we find out that the mayor of the refugee camp, is a shielder. Yeah. Do you remember last week when I was like, oh, I'm sort of glad we've moved away from this whole a shielder me business. But no, she's back. (laughs) She's back. She is. She is. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know where Sam Swift is. Well, it's a good question, isn't it? Because he's immortal as well, isn't he? Potentially. Jury's out. Yeah. So... The Doctor lost track of Ashilda in about the 1800s. And we find out she is the one that put the tattoo on Riggsy. She has sentenced him. Okay, the reason he has a countdown is so he can say goodbye to everyone. Because he's been sentenced to death for murder. Yeah. Okay, and we find that out because every alien they walk past shouts murderer at Riggsy. Yes, yeah. Okay. Is this the moment where Clara quite rightly points out that you also wiped his memory, so how would he know that he needs to say goodbye? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it is a really, really fucked up legal system. Yeah. Like, it certainly doesn't endear you to me, does it, as a character? No, no, but I've not been that endeared to her throughout, really. No. Okay. So, they walk through loads of aliens who keep shouting murderer at Riggsy. And we see, at this point, I'm I'm glad that when I read James's tweet, he referred to her as Letitia Wright. Because in my notes, I've just put, Black Panther's sister is here. She has two faces. (laughs) Okay? So, that is Letitia Wright, who plays Shuri in Black Panther. Here she has two faces, one on each side of her head. Mm -hmm. And there's a raven. Someone's going to have to face it, David. Yeah, they certainly are. 
right? The lamps in the street are like firefly worms, and they are what generate the perception field. And we find yeah. out there's been no violence on this street for a hundred years until yesterday when Riggsy killed someone. Yeah, I mean, n- no violence except for all of the public executions. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, I, I I don't know about you, I, I would class as a form of violence. Yeah, if a man's on his knees screaming for his life, <laughs> you know, I don't know how else we could wrap that up as anything but violence. Yeah. But yeah, no violence on the street for a hundred years. Okay, then, if you say so, me. Okay, so... We are introduced to the female Jalice, Anna. That is the one that Riggsy has killed. One face that yeah. she has sees the past, and one sees the present and the future. And yeah. sadly, she had a non-psychic son. It's only the female Jalices that are psychic. Yeah. Okay. And whilst all this exposition is happening, we're introduced to a man who has two minutes left on his counter. He's been charged yeah, so, with stealing medical rations. Yeah, so this this whole scene, it really is just like, okay, are you paying every attention, everyone? Here are all of the rules for how the ravens work. Yeah. So, you know, it, so, I mean, the fact that you've got you've got him and you've got Riggsy on, on the countdown as well. Like, are are these executions like a daily occurrence on this street? Yeah, like, is theft equatable to murder? I, I mean, apparently, in this uh, in this tin pot dictatorship that me's got got going on. Do you think you just get more time on your countdown? Like, whatever crime you commit, the inevitable outcome is you will die. It's just a case of when. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's not that's not covered in this episode, is it? But yeah, I do find it just. I do find something quite uncomfortable about the idea that me thinks she's doing good and and yet what who runs a refugee camp in such a fashion that you're regularly executing yeah and <laughs> it's, the members it's, I mean if you go back to the a Shilder episode where Sam Swift is going to be executed yeah like the whole town is out there baying for blood. And that just isn't the case here. Like, it's like nobody wants to watch when the execution's happening. Yeah. Because they all think they might be next. (laughs) Well, yeah, probably. If they put put a toe out of line. Yeah. Um, And the other... uh, I'm sounding really negative. I don't want to harp on everything, but I'm just kind of sharing the thoughts as they were popping into my head last night when I was watching this. At, at the end of this whole business, when, you know, the the doctor kind of takes me to task for, for the way she's running things. Um, and me's like, it says something like, oh, do you think a Cyberman should have had more more leniency or, or, or something like that? So basically we get the reveal that he, he was actually a Cyberman all along. Mm-hmm. But he's acting pretty fucking emotional for a Cyberman. Yeah, for a race without emotion. Yeah, like why? Why does he have a wife? Why yeah, does he want to steal medical supplies? Why? Why is he begging for his life? It. 
pick, pick any other race. It could have been any race from the history of Doctor Who where their, their one defining feature is not that they're emotionless. Yeah. So, yeah, that wound me up. But again, it's something that I didn't notice on on, on previous watches. It's only because I'm I'm looking at it this week with a, a, you know, under more of a microscope. Right. So just to go through the rules, as you've stated. Yeah. Me has a big tattoo that enters the Raven. Never yeah. explained where she got that from. She's just got it. Uh, yeah. The man runs. The Raven chases to break the pieces to face the Raven. When the raven catches the man, the man spews smoke and dies. Yeah. Um, and then immediately following that, I like the bit where Clara says to the doctor, right, we've got to investigate. I'll be good cop, you be bad cop. And the doctor says, well, why can't I ever be good cop? And she just goes, your face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, specifically she says, we've discussed this doctor your face I, I love the fact that they've had that conversation before and he's just like oh yeah yeah <laughs> the fact that he looks like an absolute villain yeah yeah right so clara then talks to rump who is the hairy man that's accused Riggsy of being a murderer yeah and asks... do you find it really weird that rump isn't a werewolf yeah he's just Cause... a hairy man like, yeah, but it, it just like you would cast that man as a werewolf in anything, wouldn't you? Yeah, if that lion monster took on human form, it would look exactly <laughs> like him. Yeah. Yeah. So she asks why the man's wife asked to take the chrono lock. That's the name of the tattoo. And it turns yeah. out you can pass them from person to person. So Clara says, well, I'll take Riggsy's because I'm under a shielder's protection. That way, you know, once I've got that, a shielder will never harm me. Okay? Yeah. So Rump also says that no alien could have killed Anna. That's how he knows Riggsy has committed this crime. It couldn't have been someone from within the street because Anna was a well-loved, popular person. And when Anna died, Riggsy started to scream for the doctor. I think... Does Rump say, oh, he said, call a doctor? And Clara yeah. says, well, be specific. Did he say call a doctor or call the doctor? Yeah. So Ashilda let Riggsy call the doctor because she knew they were friends, okay? So it seems as though Ashilda is using this situation to draw the doctor in. Yes, okay? yeah. And I'll be honest, I thought it was going to be that she asks to travel with him again. You know, that she was right. still mad about being left behind. Yep. Okay. Could be. So, they go to go see Shuri, or Letitia Wright's character. I can't remember what the character's actually called. Who can see yeah. Riggsy's past. Because she's actually a girl dressed as a boy. So, Anna's non-psychic son is actually a psychic daughter. Yeah, but posing as a boy to, like, to kind of protect her, basically. Because... Yeah. I mean, you could see why you'd be very sought after if you had that as a gift. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing she can't do is see what Shilda's plan is because the plan includes the Doctor and the psychic says that the Doctor's past and future are all confused and jumbled. Yeah. Okay. So Shilda needs the Doctor... Because she's afraid of something. That's all we're able to deduce. Uh, 
So Ashilda was saying that Anna, the psychic, was going to be sent to her home planet to be buried, but the Janice, but the Janice, sorry, burned their dead. So they work out that Anna isn't even dead; she's just in stasis. And this whole thing has been a yeah. ploy to draw the Doctor out. Um, he thinks it's so that uh, Ashilda can steal the TARDIS, but it isn't really. She needs the Doctor. Okay. Yeah. So as the Doctor is fiddling with things to try and free Anna, he gets a teleport bracelet slapped on his wrist. Yeah, he po- he pops his. It's the TARDIS key that is needed to to unlock the the stasis chamber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when he pops it in, it like grabs his hand, whacks a bracelet on there. So like it's obviously just been set up for this exact purpose. So Ashilda has trapped him with this teleport bracelet and says she needs the confession dial because she is working for someone. Mm. So in an order to try and stop Ashilda, Clara reveals that she now has Riggsy's chrono lock and Ashilda yep. says that Clara will die. Okay. And this is Everyone's favourite part of the episode, where the Doctor gets angry and Capaldi does a big speech. Yeah. So he says, if Ashilda doesn't save Clara, he'll rain hell on her street. Mm. Okay. But Clara realises her death is now an inevitability and she talks the Doctor down. You know, we've seen this in the past where the Doctor's not good at being alone because he gets sad here. He just gets extremely mad. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I mean, I do like Clara's line in particular where she says, your reign of terror will end at the sight of the first crying child. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I like mean, also that she says, don't yeah. be a warrior, be a doctor. Mm. You know, yeah. tying it all back to the 50th. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's... And it, it's 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 impactful when we get there when we realize and i remember the first time i watched this like i had my like my brain was fizzing so i was just like oh my god are they really doing this is this really happening we you know we've got two episodes left this series they can't do this Mm. (laughs) but it just when the when the doctor just kind of when he does that thing of just like giving up and say no no, I it, it, I can't change this, and then he's desperately pleading with me to change it, you know, yeah. and and threatening her, doing anything he can to kind of try and weasel out of it, and me is just like, that's not how it works. Mm. Um, yeah, so we just we just hit this wall of just like there are no other options. This is now locked in. It's inevitable. So it's a nice little bit um, where Clara says, let me be brave. Just let her accept this death. Let her die on her feet. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then... On her own terms. She yeah. spews the smoke and dies. Yeah. And, and then, like, you know, the score is really beautiful in that moment. You know, it's... It's well done. It is it is well done, I think. And I think impactful. My favourite line from the episode... Is where Clara's died. The doctor goes from being sad to angry. And he says, yeah. you know, he knows he's going to get teleported away. And he just says, look, 
It's a very, very small universe when I'm angry with you. So Yeah, that is a good line. Yeah. Yeah. And then he it's teleports like, it, away. Yeah. So what an episode, eh? Yeah. It's nuts. It's like it's like I find it frustrating in some ways because there is a lot of just standing around and talking. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have a real monster, we don't have we don't get any running around in corridors. We it it's just a lot of standing around and talking and laying out the rules so that we can engineer this outcome for Clara. But when she dies, it's really sad. And like you you can believe that this is her last moment because she's had a long run as a companion at this point. Yeah. You know. Even if you don't take into account the when she's teased in the first half of series seven, you know, we still had her for the back end of series seven, plus the fiftieth, plus all of series eight, plus the majority of series nine. She's had the longest run of any New Who companion. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna do like a shock early departure for a companion she's the one to do it with yeah i i can see why why they've made that call yeah um but yeah it's uh it's a it like it, it's a it's a sad but it's a but it's also it's a it's a fitting end like she it we, we've had that we they've put in the groundwork in the previous episodes like go, going back really to the start of series eight when she's starting to get cocky, we get this sense that she's she's a bit of an adrenaline junkie. Then what happens at the end of series eight, she loses Danny and she's kind of got nothing to lose at that point. So yeah. So I mean it when when you get to the end, it's easy to see how signposted it's been. I yeah. just didn't see it coming so soon. No, nor did I. I don't. I don't think anybody did, and that's kind of the genius of it, really. You know, if it if if this was if this was our series finale, I'd be like, oh right, fine, yeah, <laughs> yeah. this was bound to happen. But yeah, coming where where it does in the series, it it really does feel out of the blue in a way. Still, so you know, credit where it's due. Um, big question for you, Matt. Okay. Who do you think they are? Who who has me been in cahoots with in, in uh, uh, procuring the Doctor? See, part of me thought, is it going to be, you know, the last time we saw Missy, she was aligning herself with the Daleks, seemingly. Yeah. So could it be them? Um, I don't think it'll be the Cybermen because they were sort of talked about in this episode. Let me think. Other big bads. I don't. I don't know Could whether it would be new. the Daleks because they've been like around a while, haven't they? You say it could yeah. be someone new, but every time we meet someone new, it's always someone old who's just taken on a new personality. <laughs> um, yeah. Hang on. Let. Let me have a think. I don't think it'll be the angels. No, it's not really there, mo, is it? No, I don't think it'll be the silence. I think we're pretty much done with them. Um, well, maybe we'll just have to wait and see to find out. Could be Thingy. Out. Um, 
Hold on. It was the silence that had him trapped on Trenzalore, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it'll be them so soon. Uh, it could be Thingy. From the little... It could be Gallifrey. He's found them, but I don't know why they'd have trouble with him after he keeps defending them. You know, he keeps saying that he's found Gallifrey and he's going yeah. home the long way round, but I don't get why they'd be so horrible to him. Unless the teleport's a good thing, it just takes him home and they're just all like, oh, thanks. Oh, and so the next two episodes is just the Doctor just sitting down having a cup of tea. Yeah, and everyone's <laughs> really grateful. Well, they say, I guess... we'll do anything you want. And he says, give me back Clara. And then it's like, this episode never happened. <laughs> well, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Next week, we will be discussing Heaven Sent. Alright, that's a title that doesn't... that means literally nothing to me. Yeah, so, so join us next week for that. Uh, but until then, thank you very much for listening. And cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.